you turn with me in your Bible this evening to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 7. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 7. The word of God says this. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam, and said unto him, Where art thou? Just going to repeat that last verse one more time. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And amen. And we know God's word does not return to him void. Tonight, I would like us to look at two questions in the word of God. Two questions that we find in the word of God. The first question is the one that we've just read. This question that we've just read is the first question asked by God in the Old Testament. This is the first question asked by God. And I believe it's a very important question. And tonight I want to look at the first question asked by God in the Old Testament and the first question asked by man in the New Testament. The first by God in the Old and the first by man in the New. This question is a question that I want to echo tonight to you here in the building. Or if you're listening in online and you're not saved, you don't have that confidence of knowing your sins forgiven. Dear friend, in the meeting tonight, I want to ask you the same question. Where are you? Where are you? And I believe there are three answers to that question. Where are you tonight? And this evening we'll seek to answer that question together. First and foremost, I want to tell you where you are, dear friend. You are in your sin. You are under sin. You're a sinner. And whenever I say that, no doubt you perhaps think to yourself, a sinner is an individual who is especially immoral, evil or wicked. Perhaps you think to yourself, Brian, I could never be the sinner that you say I am. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all, you don't escape that word, for all, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes you, dear friend. Through Adam's original act of disobedience, all humanity inherited a sinful nature. You were born with sin and you commit sin. You're a sinner by nature and a sinner by practice. That is what you are. Sin is universal. No one escapes it. The fall resulted in a universal sinfulness of humanity. It's like whenever you you go to button a shirt... You ever go to button a shirt and you put the first button in the wrong slit? It affects the whole line. It's the same with Adam's sin. The one sin, the one transgression, affected the whole line. And everybody was born in sin. And as humans, you and I, we have a natural inclination to sin. Given the choice, mankind will choose his own will rather than God's. He'll choose to do his own thing rather than than what God wants him to do. The old Sunday school thing that we often say is, no one ever taught you how to sin. I think that's a very important truth. 
No one ever taught you how to sin. In fact, we go to great lengths to teach our children not to sin, not to do wrong. But the sin behavior, it comes naturally. You just have to turn on the news at night. And you can see how it's filled with tragic examples of mankind acting wickedly. In fact, maybe it's just me, but I find that it's more prevalent, or at least more obvious in our world today, than it was decades ago. The sin, the sin that was once committed shamefully in the back alley is now strutted down Main Street. It's not the same anymore. It's more prevalent. It's more accepted. Sin. Sin is a problem in our world and it's a problem in your life. The Apostle John put it very bluntly in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And because of this, sin produces a universal condemnation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 18. Therefore, as by the trespass of one resulted in condemnation for all men. My friend, tonight as you sit in this meeting or listening online and you're not saved, you sit condemned. You sit condemned. The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. My friend, you're in your sin tonight. And you're condemned because of it. You stand condemned underneath the wrath of God. But what does that mean? What does it mean to stand condemned? Well, because of it, sin sin begats a, a penalty. Sin begats death. Death is the price. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of our sin... We deserve to die. And while the physical consequence, and I want you to listen to this, I want you to hone in on this just now, I want you to listen. While the physical consequence of sin is physical death, that is not the only kind of death that results from sin. All sin is ultimately committed against an eternal and infinite God. And because of that, the just penalty for sin must also be eternal and infinite. What you need to be saved from tonight, dear friend, is yes, your sin, but also the penalty of your sin. The Bible in Revelation 20 calls this the second death. My friend, I want to tell you where you are tonight. You're in your sin. Your sin makes you unsaved. It separates you from God. And because of it, you're on the path to hell. Where are you tonight? You're in your sin. My second answer, where are you tonight? You're on the broad road. You're on a road that leads to destruction. That's where you are. Most people assume that as long as they don't mess up things while they're here on earth, they'll go to heaven when they die. You know, as long as they don't commit murder, as long as they don't rob a bank, they'll go to heaven. They think to themselves they're a good person. But scripture says the exact opposite. God created us for relationship with him, perfect relationship with him. But the rebellion of the human race in which we all participate has destined us for hell. That's the consequence of sin. I remember hearing a preacher before say that whenever they get to heaven, they're going to kick Adam in the shins. The bad thing that he committed sin. I want to tell you something very bluntly tonight, friend. If Adam and Eve didn't disobey God, 
you and I would have. If Adam and Eve didn't do it, you and I would have. We all participate in the rebellion against the Holy God. The Bible says that because of sin, you're on the broad road that leads to destruction. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go therein. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that findeth it. This, this broad road that you find yourself on tonight, it says that it is a wide gate. A wide gate. You could take your son, no problem. It's broad. There's many people on it. It's a sad thing tonight to find yourself there. Jesus taught that in life there are two roads. The broad road and the narrow road. And he said these lead to two destinations. He didn't give a third alternative. He didn't give any middle road that you can be on. He said it's one or the other. What road are you on tonight, friend? Are you on the broad road or the narrow road? Are you on the one that leads to destruction, that leads to hell? Or are you, are you on the one that leads to a full life here on earth and eventually in the life to come in heaven with the King, with the king of glory? What road are you on? It's one or the other. And I want to tell you, friend, this very simply and honestly tonight. If I didn't know which road I was on, I would make very sure tonight to know which road I'm on. I would make sure very, very evidently tonight to know that I'm on the right road. You know, in the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, it lists individuals who will be found in the lake of fire, individuals who will be found in eternal punishment. And this is what it says in verse number 8. But the cowardly and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In that list of individuals you find in eternal punishment, there are people that you would expect there, let's be honest. Murderers, sorcerers, idolaters, even though anybody can be an idolater. But those are individuals you can find there. We expect that. But then it lists other individuals. The unbelieving. Are you an unbeliever tonight? The liars. The liars will find themselves in eternal punishment. And I, I often think lying is something that we are so prone to as human beings. We bend the truth in many ways. We, we can tell lies by, by telling a half-truth. You ever tell a half-truth? A half-truth is a full lie. That's the sort of time whenever you tell your employer, I wasn't feeling well yesterday. That might have been true. But you probably felt well enough to come into work. You just didn't want to. That's a half-truth. And a half-truth is a full lie. What about a white lie? A supposedly innocent lie. We're good at that, aren't we? Yes, your new hairdo looks absolutely beautiful. Yes, I think your cheesecake is delicious. We're good at that. White lies. Even whenever you cover some for somebody and you lie, it's a sin. It's a sin. You left the phone at work, somebody wants to speak to the boss. The boss doesn't want to speak to them. I'm sorry, friend. He's not, he's not here right now. That's a lie. That's a lie. And the Bible makes no qualms to mention about individuals who lie. It happens. It is something that all humanity does. In the Bible, who lies? Cain lies. Abraham lies. Sarah lies. Lot lies. Isaac lies. Jacob lies. 
That's seven, six individuals that I've mentioned in just a few first chapters of Genesis. That's Jacob. That's the conspiracy against Esau, which is chapter 27. There's 23 chapters left in Genesis. 66 books. Lying happens. Eli tonight. I want to ask you, friend, will you find yourself in that place of eternal punishment? That place that says it is a place where the worm dieth not. The place where it is a flame that is not quenched. Will you find yourself there? C.H. Spurgeon speaks of these witty things in such a way. He says, I would feel far more inclined, inclined to sit down and weep than to stand up and speak to you. My friend, I want to tell you tonight, if you're quite content to be on the broad road leading to destruction, it would cause me to sit down and weep. My friend, tonight is the night to get right with God. You know, the one thing that I think is excruciating to bear in mind about hell is the fact that it is eternal. The same word in your Bible in Greek for everlasting life is the same word used to describe everlasting death. It goes on and on and on. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you think to yourself, Brian, how can that be fair? An eternity in heaven, an eternity in hell for only 70 years of sin. How can that be fair? My friend, I want to restate what I said earlier. Sin against an infinite God requires an infinite price. Or an infinite sacrifice. Therefore, either man, that is you, who is, in, who is finite, can pay the price for an infinite length of time in hell. Or an infinite God can pay the price once. Once. Either you, who is finite can pay the price for an infinite length of time, or an infinite God can pay the price once. And I want to tell you, friend, that's exactly what he did. You know, all most biblical teaching about hell comes from the lips of the Lord Jesus. And everything that he says in the Gospels, I think, in our human language, it cannot be told how terrible it really is. We can't explain it. Whenever it says it's fire, I believe it's a literal fire, yes. But it's far worse than any fire you and I can imagine. Whatever it says that it's a, a blackness, a darkness like no other, I want to tell you, friend, that the human language cannot comprehend how dark it is. I wonder, friend, will you find yourself there? Will you find yourself there one day, or will you get right with God? Will you go from that broad road to the narrow way that leads to life? Where are you tonight? You're in your sin. You're on the broad road. Thirdly, where are you tonight? I want to tell you, friend, you are here tonight. You are here tonight. There are 8.1 billion people living in the world. There are 1.9 million living in Northern Ireland. And by God's providential arrangement of circumstances, God, by His grace, has you sitting in Grange Baptist Church tonight or listening in online to hear his glorious message that Christ saves. Amen? You are here tonight. You know in the Bible in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 3, if you know the story of Ruth, she goes to the field of Boaz. In verse 3, the Bible says that she happened upon the field of Boaz. She happened upon the field. But you and I both know that God was working behind the scenes the entire time. God in his sovereignty was working the whole time. 
My friend, you don't just happen to be here tonight. You are here tonight because it's God's will for you to be here tonight. God is seeking you tonight. God is speaking to you tonight. Through his word. By his spirit. From the very beginning. Through his prophets. Through his only begotten son. Through the calling calling forth of the gospel. Our creator God has been and is even tonight. Seeking sinners to come unto him. And receive forgiveness full and free. My friend will you be them? Will you be one of them? Will you be accounted amongst the, in, the individuals who come and receive forgiveness from the Lord? Where are you tonight? You're in your sin. You're on the broad road. But by God's grace, he has you here tonight to listen to the gospel message. Perhaps once again. Perhaps for the final time. I wonder, friend, will you take him up on his offer of salvation tonight? We've looked at where you are tonight. If you would turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2. Matthew chapter 2. And verse 2, or verse 1 even. We've looked at the first question asked by God in the Old Testament. Let's look at the first question asked by man in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. The word of God says this. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying... Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And amen. And we know God's word does not return unto him void. We've looked at where you are tonight, friend. I want to ask the second question. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Where are you? Where is he? Where is he that is born King of the Jews? That is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Saviour and Redeemer of the world. Where is he? Well, first and foremost, dear friend, I want to tell you where he went to. He went to Calvary. He went to Calvary. In order for you to be forgiven for your sin, to go to heaven one day, God's dwelling place, that kingdom of life and light, sin, sin had to be paid for. And God, because of his love, Toward you and I made a way for man to be forgiven for his sins. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the sins of mankind on himself on the cross. And in placing our sin on Christ, God ensured that all who believe on his name would be saved. My friend, I want to again restate this very important truth to you. And again, I want you to listen very clearly to what I say. Because the just penalty for sin is eternal and infinite, only God could pay the price because only he is eternal and infinite. But God in his divine nature cannot die. So God came in the form of man, took upon himself flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world both fully God and fully man. Not any lesser in each of them. Fully man and fully God. Jesus took on flesh. God took on flesh. Lived among us and taught us. And when the people rejected him and his message. And sought to kill him. The Lord Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life. So that you and I could be free from sin. Because Jesus was a human. He could die. Because Jesus was God. His death had an eternal an infinite value. 
Jesus' death on the cross was the perfect and complete payment for sin. He took the consequences that we deserved, that you deserve. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead demonstrated that this was a sufficient this was a sufficient payment for sin. Where is he tonight? He went to Calvary, first of all. Where is he tonight? Secondly, my friend, I want to tell you on the authority of the Word of God, where is he? He rose again. Amen? He rose again. And the resurrection of Christ is foundational to the gospel message. It is vital to the gospel. Our salvation stands or falls on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ is not physically risen from the dead, then we ourselves have no hope of resurrection. We ourselves have no hope of a new life. The apostles and Paul himself said that if Christ had not risen, his preaching would be in vain. And Christians, above all people on the earth, are to be most pitied. Most pitied. But I want to tell you, friend, tonight, on the authority of the word of God, Jesus Christ is alive today. Jesus Christ is alive today. He's risen. And his resurrection confirms that Jesus, Jesus was perfect. His resurrection confirms that he was free from sin, either in thought, word, or deed. Death, death had no hold on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that. Whenever we read in Romans, we read it a few moments ago, for the wages of sin is death, but Christ never committed sin, and therefore death had no hold over him. Death had no right to the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no personal sin of his own. People die only because they are born in sin, and because Christ was not, death had no hold over him. And yet, yet he went to die. Yet he fully paid for the penalty of your sin and my sin. So death, death could not hold the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 24. I love this verse. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains, the pans of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. It was impossible for death to hold Christ. Power of death is nothing compared to the power of an infinite and eternal God. The resurrection of Jesus proves that God accepted his atonement for our sin. The scriptures tells us that he was raised for our justification. Because he was perfect offering for sin, God accepted his death as the true and complete atonement for our sin. And showed us, proved it, by Jesus coming back from the dead. You know, because of Jesus' resurrection... The promise that we find in John chapter 14 and verse 19 is held to be fast and true. John chapter 14 and verse 19. Because I live, you will live also. Because Jesus is alive tonight, he can give you new life. He can give you a new life in himself. And I want to tell you something else. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ sets Christianity Biblical Christianity, apart from every other religion in the world. That's the right terminology to use. Jesus' resurrection from the dead was the crowning achievement that forever separates him from any other religious leader. No other figure in any religion ever prophesied his own death and then resurrected himself. Are you sure he could accomplish that? Only God. 
In the Bible we read in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat upon it. I wonder, dear friend, in the meeting tonight, do you ever wonder why an angel had to come and roll the stone away? Do you ever wonder why it was not God himself? Directly, I mean. Why did God himself not roll the stone away? Well, I believe Matthew Henry in his commentary answers it most aptly. And this is what he says. The angel came, rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Our Lord Jesus could have rolled back the stone himself by his own power, but he chose to have it done by an angel to signify that having undertaken to make satisfaction for our sin, he, that is the Lord Jesus, did not have to break out of prison, but a fair and legal discharge was obtained from heaven. He did not break out of prison, but an officer of heaven was sent on purpose to roll away the stone and open the prison door, which would have never been able to do if full satisfaction was not made. Whenever Christ paid the penalty for sin, the Father in heaven, in your mind's eye, see it tonight, the Father in heaven said he paid the price, go and set him free. They sent an angel. They sent this, this officer of heaven to show that the price had been paid. Jesus paid for your debt tonight. Your debt. And he rose again for your acquittal. The stone was rolled away from the door, from the grave of the Lord Jesus Christ, to demonstrate that divine justice, the divine justice of Almighty God, was satisfied. An angel was commissioned to roll the stone away to symbolize that it was done. It is finished. I wonder, dear friend, do you believe it tonight? You know, whenever the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed on the cross of Calvary, it is finished, I believe him. Do you? Do you? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to say that again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Where is he tonight? He went to Calvary. He rose again. And finally, my friend, and as I close, I want to tell you this. Where is he tonight? He is bidding you to come. He is welcoming you to come. Christ offers his salvation as a free gift. A free gift that only can be received by faith. No works, no merit, no achievement of your own. Jonathan Edwards once said, and I have to say it's probably my favorite quote from any theologian. Not that I know too many, but that's my favorite quote. You contribute nothing to your soul's salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. You contribute nothing to your soul's salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. My friend, salvation is received by faith in Christ. My friend, I want to tell you tonight as we bring our gospel service to a close, do not attempt to touch yourself up and make yourself something other than what you really are before you come to Christ. Come to Christ tonight where you sit in this meeting. Come to him and receive his forgiveness. Dear friend in the meeting, let me tell you this, God justifies the ungodly. 
You don't do it yourself. You know, C.H. Spurgeon one time told this story. And I believe is it a very fitting story for us to end with tonight. He says, A great artist some time ago had painted a part of the city in which he lived. And he wanted, for historic purposes, to include in his picture certain individuals who were well known in the town. And a road sweeper, unkempt, ragged and filthy, was a man who was known to everybody. And there was a suitable place for him in the picture. And the artist said to this ragged and rugged individual, I will pay you well if you come down to my studio and let me paint you in your likeness. The morning came round, but this man was soon sent home after he arrived. For whenever the road sweeper came into the studio, he had washed his face, he had combed his hair, and he had donned a respectable suit of clothing. You see, the painter sent him home because the painter needed a beggar. A beggar. Not somebody who cleaned themselves up beforehand. I wonder, friend, tonight will you come simply as a beggar, simply like the faith on the cross, and cry out, cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ to save you? My friend, don't, don't try to tidy yourself up before you come to him. My friend, I want to tell you that the gospel, the gospel will receive you into its walls if you come as a sinner, nothing else. A sinner, nothing else. You don't need to wait for reformation. You just have to receive salvation. God justifies the ungodly. My friend, God desires to forgive you tonight. Tonight. We've looked at these two questions. The first one asked by God in the Old Testament. The first one asked by man in the New. Where where are you and where is he? My friend, tonight, would you not get right with God? Tonight, would you not make sure before you go out those doors that you know that you're on the narrow way that leads to life and life everlasting in Jesus Christ? Turn from your sinful ways. Trust in Jesus Christ by faith and personally receive him as your Savior and your Lord. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friend, would you not claim that promise tonight? My friend, just as I bring our service to a close, I want to tell you, be careful what you do with this sermon. What you do with this sermon might be your undoing forever. I don't know. More importantly, you don't know. You could go out into your car tonight, my dear friend, and you could drive down the road. You could be an eternity before you know it. My friend, be careful what you do with this sermon. Because what you do with this sermon might be your undoing forever. My friend, I can say as I stand here tonight that I have an assurance that whenever I close my eyes on earth for the last time, I'll open them in his presence for the first time. I'm assured of it. I'm confident of it. As I stand here tonight, my friend, are you? Do you have that assurance tonight? We're going to sing together in our closing hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. My friend, can you claim that tonight? That you have an assurance that Jesus Christ is your saviour and your Lord. Tonight is the night to get right with God.